Presley, and Eric was instantly hooked on this strange new sound rooted in the American blues. All he wanted for his birthday was a guitar. The first rock and roll I ever saw on TV was Jerry Lee Lewis doing Great Balls of Fire, says Eric. It threw me. It was like seeing someone from outer space, and I wanted to go there. He had a bass player playing a Fender Precision, then I said, now that's a guitar. That was the future, and that was what I wanted. Eric persuaded his grandparents to buy him a 14-pound acoustic Spanish Hoya. In my mind's eye, I can see his smile even now on the way home, grins Rose. The instrument promptly became an obsession with Clapton, who dutifully practiced day and night. I had to copy to learn, he says. I never had a teacher. I just heard a good song in the radio, and the chord changes sounded nice, so I picked up the guitar and copied them. Rose recalls how he would often stay up until 3 a.m., struggling painstakingly to pick out the chords from blues records with the aid of an old tape recorder. I remember shouting down to him so many times, Rick, your father's got to go to work in the morning, son. With this new avocation, Eric retreated even further, the shy boy now becoming the teen loner to the everyday folk of Ripley. He had the tightest jeans the longest hair, a dirty face, and eventually he sat alone on the village green playing his guitar to himself, recalls Pullen. Oh, yeah, he was certainly the odd one out all right. Adds Rose. If another boy came up to him as he was sitting on the green, Rick would say, Hey, listen to this blues guitar. Then he'd try to emulate the sound and the notes every day throughout the summer. As a trade-off to the Claps' purchase of the guitar, Eric agreed to attend Hollyfield Road School in Surbiton, en route to entering the Kingston School of Art two years later. The prestigious institution also counted fellow musicians Pete Townsend, Keith Richard, and Ray Davies among its alumni. I didn't have enough certificates, remembers Clapton, but I took a portfolio and they liked what they saw. I got into the art school for one year on probation. I told them I wanted to be a commercial artist, so they put me into graphics. After the first couple of weeks, I realized I was in the wrong department, because in the canteen I saw all the blokes with paint all over them and long hair. They were in the fine arts department. I really thought I'd blown it from the word go. A dilemma quickly arose between art and music, with the latter decidedly winning out. Clapton took his guitar to school, where he quickly gained popularity for his lunchtime concerts in the cafeteria. He soon began skipping class and spending time pursuing local record shops or practicing. Inevitably, letters from the headmaster began arriving at the Clap home. Of his inexorable dismissal, Eric admitted, I was shocked. What I was doing was creative and imaginative. Simply because of a lot of distractions, getting into the bohemian beatnik thing and listening to music, I didn't have a big enough portfolio. They booted me out with another bloke, us two out of fifty, which wasn't too good. Eric's grandfather then took him on as a bricklayer and found he had a flair for laying tiles. But Clapton learned far more from the experience. By watching him and his dexterity and skill, I realized that little things are all important. It was magic to watch him work. He could plaster a room in two hours, and it was phenomenal, a kind of work of art. As 1962 wore on, Clapton totally immersed himself in the bohemian lifestyle, freely emulating guitar heroes Robert Johnson and Big Bill Brunsey. Eventually, he abandoned his day job altogether and took up a hobo-like existence, sleeping on park benches or unceremoniously crashing on people's floors. 
Finally, he hooked up with the blues guitarist Dave Brock, and the duo landed gigs at various Kingston and Richmond folk clubs and coffee bars. It was early in 1963, though, when Clapton snared his first big break. A college friend introduced him to Tom McGuinness, who, together with drummer Robin Mason, pianist Ben Palmer, and vocalist Terry Brennan, formed a blues group called The Roosters after the Willie Dixon song Little Red Rooster. He had a fluency in command that seemed endless, Palmer immediately noticed. He had a sense of dynamics quite remarkable for someone of his age. I knew from the very first time he was different from the rest of us. The telling factor was that he didn't mind taking solos. He'd go on and on until someone would have to stop him to bring the singer back in. He was lucid, fresh, powerful, and always building. Clapton remembers those days as amongst the best in his life, living in an artist's commune with Palmer above a warehouse in Covent Garden, drinking cheap Algerian red wine, and invariably playing for a few pounds. In